accepted. I don't believe in the, in the doctrine of ultimate reconciliation or what is called universalism, where they say you don't need any faith to be saved. We believe, what, what I believe is that Jesus Christ came and He cancelled out what Adam did and everyone that believes has got access into that grace when you believe the Holy Spirit comes and what has happened upon the cross, which is true, which has been done 2,000 years ago, manifests in your heart. And then the Bible says, we are changed through knowledge. Knowledge, or the Greek word there is acknowledgement, where we, where we acknowledge what Christ has done in us and who we are. So, I believe you, you preach the gospel, people hear the gospel of grace, they believe it. When they believe it, they receive the salvation that was already manifested 2,000 years ago. Once they receive that, they are on a journey wherein they study and wherein they hear about who Jesus is, which reveals who they are, and by acknowledgement of that, we find who Jesus is living in us. That, that is the gospel. And then concerning end times, what do I believe about end times? Uh, um, I don't believe in the Antichrist. I believe in Jesus. You know, many people are believing so much in the Antichrist. Man, is there Antichrist or is there not an Antichrist? The Bible says in the book of John, there are many Antichrists already now. So, what's an Antichrist? It's somebody that is against Christ. You anti-Christ. Christ is, is, is the word anointing or anointment or the ability of God. The anti-grace. That's anti-Christ. <laughs> as simple as that. If you're against the grace message, you are anti-Jesus. I mean, you are anti what Christ has done. You're against that. So, um, uh, uh, what about the end times and all those things? I've got one thing that I believe Paul says, encourage one another with these words, and that is that Jesus is coming back. So, I wait for the, the physical return of Jesus Christ. And that is my understanding of eschatology. Amen. My full, that's what I understand, that's what I believe. It's, it's simple, it produces peace, it produces life, and the focus here is the message of God's grace. The message of what God has done for us. And um, as long as what I preach that message, you are welcome here. The moment I don't preach that anymore, you are not welcome here, please go to a place where it's preached. Amen. Because that is the only gospel. It's the only message that can produce peace. There is no other gospel that is uh, of God. Paul says, there are many other gospels which, which men made. And we must realize when Paul preached, he, he had an understanding. He says, my gospel. And then he says, my gospel I received from the Lord. Because there were other preachers and other people that had their interpretation of scriptures. And they had their gospels. So Paul came and he said, my gospel is the following. And then he explained how he interpreted scripture. He would take a scripture in Galatians where he wrote, he says, the Bible says that the promise was made to Abraham and his seed. And then he says, that is not a, a plural form, that's singular, that means, and this is my interpretation, it could not be, it didn't say seeds as of many, but he says seeds as of one, Christ. So it's then saying everybody who's in Christ, and, and he came with his whole gospel, the way he believes it. So, if you want to say, what, what do I believe? I believe in the gospel Paul preached. The gospel of God's grace. And every book in the Bible, even the writings of Peter, the writings of James we're going to talk about, I interpret in the light of the revelation that was given to Paul by Jesus Christ. 
That, that's what I believe in my heart. Okay, so let's go to Hebrews. Let's read from verse 6. And uh, we're going to talk, uh, I think, last, the last time I preached here, I spoke about Hebrews chapter 8, didn't I? Was it, what, did I preach on Hebrews chapter 8? See, that's why I, I don't worry if you forget my message, because I can't remember it myself. <laughs> um, where we talked about the new law that's put in our hearts. And I want to continue on that, because there's a scripture in the Bible that says, we're going to read now, that the law is put in our hearts. And uh, so many times we think that that is a re-implementation of the law of Moses. It's a re-implementation of um, the Ten Commandments, or back actually saying that, that the Ten Commandments and the law way never fell away as a pathway unto God. Um, because of this verse. So let's quickly go to chapter 8, verse 6, Hebrews. It says, But now has he ordained a more excellent ministry, um, by how much also he that is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. So here comes the writer of Hebrews, which I believe was Paul, and he says, and he says, that uh, uh, God makes a promise of another covenant, another a tes- a testament. That's what He promises. He says, now, if there was not fault with the first one, if there was not something wrong with the first one, why would He then want another one? And I think that's what we must realize. There was something very big wrong with the first one. If you go and read chapter 8 and chapter 9, you will say, see that God says, I don't want to walk according to the first one, because by the first one you are guilty, and I don't want to condemn you. Isn't that awesome? So there's a law covenant by laws and rules and regulations, which is so much more vast and far, far <laughs> above and over the narrow boundaries of the simple Ten Commandments. The law is much greater than the Ten Commandments. The Bible says the law was already written on the hearts of the Gentiles, even without them having the Ten Commandments. So what is the law, if we must define the law? The law is anything that man thinks that is good, that he can rest upon to say that because of this, I can claim that I'm righteous, a good work. Any good work or good deed in your life, which you can use as a foundation from where you can claim your righteousness or your godliness. That is law. Do good, get good. Or this one, do good, then you are good. That's actually more accurate towards what Adam has done. Because of the good you've done, have knowledge of the good that you've done and the good that's already in your life. And by the good that's already in your life, you can say, now I can say I am. And that's exactly like what I said to the guys in the USA. You, when, it, when people say wrong things about us, we say, oh no, we can't, cannot believe them, we believe the report of the Lord. But when it goes well, then we use the good things. And we say these good things is a sign that I'm blessed. When we don't have money, we say, oh God, you know, if, if uh, um, your word has prospered me, thank you that you always care for me. As you care for the birds, free from my works, you care for me. But when you are, have got a very big business deal, you say, I'm so blessed. Look what God has done. And now we declare that we are blessed because of the deal. No, no. 
That means other people are cursed. And the moment you do that, you will find that there will be levels of blessing because according to the income. And we cannot live like that. That will not give us peace. That will bring so much devastation to your life because you'll always be measuring yourself. That's law. <coughs> That's law. <laughs> That's the law message of I am what I have. I am what happens to me. I've done it so many times. I am blessed because I've got that and while I say that I actually disqualify the guy that I'm telling it to because he doesn't have that. I'm blessed of God because I've got a a, a nice motorbike. Okay? I'm blessed of God because I've got a wife. What about the guy whose wife died a month ago? Is he now cursed of God? No. He's also blessed of God. And that's what Ian has said. God's love for us is measured by only one thing. And that is what has happened on the cross where he's removed the law and the whole mindset where man will be what he is. That's why that, that, that song we sang there about uh, Romans chapter 8, when all things work together for my good, where it says that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not tribulation, peril, the sword, nakedness, demons, nothing. If I'm so poor that I'm naked... That's really poor. It's no more an indication of separation from God. Because the Jewish people believed and the the, the law system stated that if you obey these commands, then all these good things will happen to you. And, And then the good things was the indication of who you are and how obedient you are. But now, Paul came in Romans 8 and made made a, 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 a declaration that Jesus also made in Matthew. Where he said... Nothing can now be a separation, can separate me. So if I'm poor, that's not an indication of separation. He says, who's the, because it's not the law that judges anymore. Romans 8 talks about the law that judged and God that judges. He says, who will bring in an accusation against God? Is it God who justifies? So, in other words, if there's an accusation, if there's something, you are now poor, this is the reason why you are poor. And that, that is the law judging. But I don't stand under the law's judgment anymore. Under the law. If I am not prosperous, if I'm not healed, if I'm not all those things, it's a sign of God's separation from me. But I've got a different judge now. Not the law, but God. And God's point of showing that He's close to me was manifested in the incarnation of God into human flesh. And my... Uh, I became a participant of that when I believed. So for me now, the only indication that I can have on how blessed I am, how holy I am, how righteous I am, is the resurrected Jesus where He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Not your mother's opinion, not your father's opinion, or any man's opinion that is outside or not in line with what God says about us. Hallelujah. Reinhard Bonke said it so much. He says, so he says, in Afrikaans, hy steer hom nie aan wat mense sê as hulle vir hom slecht praat nie, of as hulle vir hom goed praat. Just believes God's support. 
And I've seen it now when I was in the United States. You, you find people, that is the best preacher I've ever listened to. What if, yes, yes, yes. Tomorrow I say something you don't like, then I'm the worst guy you've ever met. <laughs> and even if I would be the best preacher that ever lived on this planet, I cannot find who I am in what I do. Because the moment I do that, I sin with the same sin as what Adam has sinned. It says here, <clears throat> for, in that if, for in that the first covenant had been faultless, then should be no place sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I've made with their fathers in the days when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people." Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so what he says is, he says, after those days, there will be days, and after those days, God will put His law in our hearts. Now what they do is, they confuse the law of God and the understanding of the Scriptures when, Jesus, when God gave the law. When God gave the law, He called it His commandments, because that was what was the commandments that He gave man. But the commandments that He gave man upon Mount Sinai was not ordained didn't find its origin in God. It, it was found in Adam. Adam sinned, implemented a law system. Then God wrote it down and gave it to, the, to, to Moses and he gave it to the Israelites. So those commandments was given by God to Moses, but it was not the commandments of God. It's very simple to explain. If I take this Bible and I give it to Andres... Well, let me use a, a, a better example. If I take this Bible and I give it to Andres, does that mean it was my Bible? No, it just means that I gave something to him that was not mine. In the same way, God came and he gave the law in written format to Moses. It was not his law. It was the commandments which ministers death to man. It was that which shows man that you are a sinner. It was that which produces the same result as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden. He wrote the, 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 the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil down on stones and gave it to Moses. And he, because that was what Adam chose to have as food for mankind. And then that food was written down in on stones so that man could eat off that daily and have the effect of it daily, which is death. And God was so wise, He was so clever in doing that, because He knows that if He had a written format and types and shadows that man had to obey to be righteous, He could become a man and fulfill all those things so that man could be declared righteous by the obedience of Jesus. So for us, the greatest error you can ever be in is to think that you can be declared righteous and blessed by God by the law of Moses. And the worst thing that can ever happen is to say that God is now taking the law of Moses and writing that in our hearts. That's the thing that God came to take away. 
He didn't come to write that law in our hearts. There's another law that he's writing in our hearts. He says there that there was a law that you could not obey, that I gave to you in written format. But now I will give you my law. There was a law, and, and so many times you can go and read, Jesus said to the Pharisees, He says, doesn't your law say? Your law says. The law says. You will not see that Jesus ever calls the law His law. He doesn't. <laughs> Let's look at what Jesus said uh, um, by reading Isaiah 51. I'll show you what Jesus said. How can you read what Jesus said in Isaiah? It's very possible because Isaiah speaks of Jesus. Isaiah 51 and verse 4. It speaks prophetically of Jesus and salvation. He says, Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nations, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of all the people. <laughs> he says, give your ear to me. Jesus comes, he walks on the earth, he says, listen guys, my people, he calls all the people his people, because he became one with mankind in receiving a physical human body. He says, all my people, listen to me, for there's a law that will come out of my mouth. There will be a law that will be, be uh, uh, given. He says, and this is my judgment. I will judge in such a way that it will lead unto rest. And my judgment unto rest will be a light unto the nations. Or the new law. Isn't that awesome? Thank you God. There's a new law. Not the Ten Commandments. There's a new law. There's a law that says, not by your works are you saved. There's a law that says that God became a human being. He obeyed on your behalf. He died on your behalf. And whosoever believes in Him enters into the rest of God, meaning that He has got no more work to do for you in rest. When do you work? It's when, you must, when there's work to do. But when there's no more work, you rest from your work. When God rested from His work, He didn't rest because He's tired. He rested because the work was finished. In the same way, we are now entering into the rest of God, because not because there's nothing for us to do anymore, or not, not because we are tired, but because everything that there was to do has been done by Jesus. Now He says that He will have, He says, My people, listen to Me, for out of My mouth will come a new law. And this is the way I will judge. By this law. My judgment will be unto rest. And that is a light unto my people. So what's the new law? What's the law <laughs> that he's going to write in our hearts? Let's go to Psalm 40. Oh my goodness. This is going to be so blessed. Thank you Jesus. I want to tell you, we are so privileged, you know, to, to know this gospel. We're so blessed. And what we have, what we possess, is ours and it belongs to other people. This salvation that we know, it belongs to your neighbor. 
It belongs to people that doesn't even know about it. Amen. It's like, imagine, I, I was there in the United States, I said to them, it's funny that God is sending missionaries to the U.S. So that you can hear the gospel of grace. That you can hear the true gospel. This belongs to other people. It belongs to you, it belongs to your neighbor, it belongs to people that work to you, for you, for this is true about them. Amen. And we can share this. Isn't this awesome? Thank you that we can know this, Lord. Let's read Psalm 40 from verse 8. <clears throat> I delight to do your will, O my God. This speaks about Jesus. It's prophetically about Jesus. <clears throat> and this is one of his prayers that was recorded in the book of Psalms, prophetically. It says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Yes, thy law is within my heart. So whose law was in the heart of Jesus? The law of God. The law of God was in the heart of Jesus. Listen, listen now. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. <laughs> Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not, now listen, he says, your law is in my heart. Verse 10. I have not hid thy righteousness in my heart. But I have declared. Now he says what the righteousness of God really is. The word righteousness in the Hebrew also means the good thing done. I have not hidden. Your law is put in my heart. I preach the good thing that you want to do to all the people. I have not hidden the good thing that you do in my heart. But I have declared your law, which is <clears throat> thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. I hope you hear what I'm trying to say. Jesus says, I've got the law of God in my heart. Now, what is this law? He says, I've not kept your law silent, but I've declared your law. I have preached how righteous you are. I have preached and told the people about your salvation, your faithfulness, how faithful you are towards man, how much you love man, how you delight to, be, to, to do good to man. That is the law of God that was written on the heart of Jesus. And He declared that law in the great congregation. He preached that law in the great congregation. Now, God comes in Hebrews, He says, I will now write my law on the hearts of the people. Then I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people. But under the Old Testament, Jesus or God was to them a judge and we were an enemy. But when the new law is written on your heart, when the law of how faithful God is, is written on your heart. When the law about the good thing done by God for you, is written on your heart. When the law about the loving kindness, in the Hebrew, the strong desire that is in, embedded in the heart of a person, that finds his delight in contributing to the happiness of others, by joyfully granting their wishes, Supplying their wants and lifting their distresses. When the law of that is written on your heart, you'll find that God is really God. 
our concept of God has become so warped because we had the law of Moses in our hearts and then we saw God. And then, then that is the perspective of God, which is not God. You can only see God for... God can only be a God to a human being once he understands the loving kindness of God. Once he understands the righteousness of God. When righteousness is preached in the great congregation. When the faithfulness of God to a human being is preached to you. And you, your, your gospel is not about how faithful you must give your tithe. How faithful you must go to church. How faithful you must do things for God. How faithful you must read your Bible. How faithful you must pray. That is not the, go- the gospel of God. The gospel of Jesus is how faithful God is towards you. And the faithfulness of God is not contained in the simple emotion that is hidden in the heart of God. The faithfulness of God is contained in an act and in a person where God became one with human flesh. As faithful as what God will stay inside Jesus. As faithful as what God's faithfulness is measured to to the ability of Jesus never to die. For it is founded in the fact that God became a human being. When that faithfulness is preached, and that is, is implanted in your heart and in your mind, you find now that God becomes who God really is. Amen. So the one guy said to me, he said, Bert, you know, I've got this business deal and, and I've messed up in the past and this thing must come through. It's a 20 million rand thing and if this doesn't come through, you know, I don't know what, what's going to happen, but I've listened to some of your messages on television and I'm so blessed. Preach this grace to me so that I can get this money and be happy. I said to him, listen man, the teaching that I have can make people happy that doesn't even have money. That was too much for the guy. Really, it was. He, he couldn't grab that. It was too much. Because how can you be happy without stuff? It, it's impossible. Let me tell you something. You can be happy without stuff. And when you get stuff, you will not have a value to that stuff where you will not think about things irrationally. You will start to see stuff for what it really is. That's all. It's like I, I shared with Andres last night. If I get invited to preach to 7,000 churches in India and I don't find value in numbers, you know, it will be very difficult for me to tempt me into something wrong concerning where I preach. Because one of the things that can happen is, well, here's 7,000 churches. We're going to run for the 7,000 leaders now. I can go there next year. I can, I can fly there and preach there. But if I find value in the number, and I say the number is the blessing of God, then I'm in trouble. I will not be able to hear what God says. What, the gospel we believe makes you happy even if you haven't shared it with anybody. You share because you're happy. You don't share to become happy. Hallelujah! We don't try to build a ministry. We don't try... You know, when I was in the U.S., I said to the guys, I want to tell you, you can relax. I'm not here to take your money. I've received more money in South Africa, much, much more, than ever from any other country. 
So if I must be running for money, I stay only here. So I'm blessed here. <laughs> Why will I? And you know, the, 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 the people come say, we like almost can't believe it because everybody comes here and the purpose is to get money. That's why you go to the United States, to get money. No, I, I, I go to preach the gospel that's already made me happy. And that's what I want to tell you. The, this message of grace, the faithfulness of God towards you, contained in the, in the body of Jesus, according to Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead indwells Jesus bodily. That is some of the, one of the most powerful verses. It indwells Jesus bodily. When you, when you understand the revelation, when Paul wrote bodily, you must jump. Because as long as what I've got a body, I'm represented. And then Paul writes, he says, and this fullness is now in you. You have the fullness of the Godhead, for it is in Jesus bodily. You're a human being that's got a body, meaning that that fullness is in you. So we don't find fullness in where we preach. We don't find fullness in what we do for anybody. We find our fullness in who Christ is. And he says, that law I will write in your hearts. Thank you, Jesus. That's the law of God. Now, I, I love to read Psalms where David says, I delight in your law, O my God. I meditate upon your law day and night. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I like to say, I will not let your law go out of my eyes or ears. I keep your law, your word in my heart. Well, there's a different principle by which God judged. There was a new law that came and God judged according to that law unto our rest. And the law that is unto our rest is the light of the people. Amen. If the light in you is darkness, if the light that is in you the revelation that you have is actually the ministration of death. How dead are you? You're so dead. You know, you, you, I, I want to say you cannot say that verse without wanting to cry. And Proverbs says there's a way that, that, listen to this, there's a way that seems unto life, but the end is death. That does not speak about Las Vegas. It doesn't talk about Caledon Casino or Grand, Grand West or whatever. It talks about a way that looks unto life. Many times I've preached that. I remember years ago I was preaching to the drug guys and the drunkards. I said, there's a way that seems unto life. They don't think that seems unto life. They know it's unto death. They know that thing's going to destroy their life. They know there's a way that everybody knows this leads to death. But then there's a way that looks as if it's not leading to death, but it's leading to death. And Paul said, the commandment I found that was ordained unto life was unto death. And he quoted the tenth law in the law of Moses, the ten commandments. Quote the ten commandments. This is a way that looks unto life. But the end there was death. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here comes Eve. It is good for food. Desirable to make one wise. 
and beautiful and all those things. But God says, this will kill you. Now God says, I'll write a new law on your heart. It is the law of my redemption. It's the law of my salvation. It's the law of how I've set you free. And let God write that in your heart. I want to tell you, the more I preach this, the more I believe it. (laughs) It's true. It becomes the only truth. It's, It's like nothing else makes sense. This is the truth. His salvation. How He saves me. How He's faithful to me. I don't want to hear how faithful I must be to God. I want to hear how faithful God is to me. Because when I hear how faithful I must be to God, then I am going to become tired. The only thing that I want to be faithful to is... The, or the only faithfulness that I want to have is the faithfulness that is produced as a result of hearing how faithful He is towards me and that faithfulness is to stick faithful to the gospel of grace and to continue to believe that. doesn't matter what, say, what who says, we're going we're gonna to believe this. doesn't matter how many people sit here. Amen. Like I said so many times before, if it's just you and God, you're in a majority. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go to James. The book of James. I I, I want to encourage you guys. You know, when you... And it's actually so simple. You know, when we were under the law and was talking about meditate upon the Word of God, think upon the Word of God, ponder upon the Word of God, we were thinking, memorize Scriptures. But now that we are in grace, I find what David says. I delight in your law, O God. I think about it when I lie on my bed. When I lie on the bed, I don't think, what does Hebrews 5.11 say? What does Hebrews 11.6 say? I don't think that. I think of how I've been saved by grace. And we're happy about this grace. We delight in the law of God. And we detest the law of Moses. And we love the law of God. We want the law of God. We want His law written in our hearts. We can't but meditate and ponder about it. Listen then. Not to think of grace is like winning the lotto and then you need five laws on how to remember that you won the lotto. (laughs) You don't need five laws on how to remember that you won the lotto. No, the the message is great and the message possesses the power to, to, to produce faithfulness to remembrance. Amen. The problem that there is, is when we go and listen to something else that is very close to the truth, but it's not the truth. That kills you. That will destroy your life. That will destroy your relationship with God. And that is actually what the the book of uh, um, James is all about. And as a matter of fact, it's what most of of the epistles that Paul wrote is all about. It's all about, listen, you've received it all now, now stay in it. I want to say something else. Um, I used to preach this years ago. I believed in progressive revelation. 
Now, let me define what that is. That is, God has got times and seasons wherein He will reveal things. So, what God's going to do now is, and, and it can easily be proven from the Bible, because there was a time and a season in which God did something. And that was when Jesus came. And He came in what was called the fullness of time. Now, the fullness of time means... All of time is placed in that one instant. Time's fullness was contained in what he did there. So he did that from the beginning, from Alpha to Omega. He did the whole thing in one time. Now out of that thing we start to think of times and seasons and then it talks about the return of the Lord and that there will be a day in the return of the Lord. And out of that we want to build a doctrine that says God has got progressive revelation where He says, you know, um, in the early, like up to say 400 BC I'm going to give this revelation. And then in 1000 BC I'll give that revelation. And then 2000 uh, 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 or... or, or, or uh, That was now before Christ, after Christ. In, in the year 2000, I'm going to tell people, you know, about the Holy Spirit. And then in 2005, I'm going to tell them they were alive. And then in 2010, I've got a special revelation. That's not in the Bible. There's one revelation. And you all know that revelation. And that was what was hidden for ages and generations, and it is, has been revealed, and everything I've preached that's been a revelation to you, Paul wrote that almost 2,000 years ago. It was already revealed and written down. Now we come with new revelation. I want to tell you, Paul wrote to the people in Corinth, he says that you have everything, you come short in no gift, you come short in no knowledge, you come short in nothing, the only thing you come short in is the return of Jesus physically. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's what he says. And he wrote that to the Corinthian people that even struggled with sin. And the thing is, we sit with this, with this teaching and this mindset that we don't have it all. There's some revelation that God tries to hide from us and doesn't want to reveal to us. Therefore, we will run from seminar to seminar to hear something new. And if you don't believe that this gospel that you've heard now is not it, you will be open for deception. For if I tell you, listen, this is not it, but God has hidden some things for you. Listen, if God has hidden some things for people that would, would, would help them concerning salvation and concerning victory and concerning life in general, and He's hidden it and only reveals it in 2008, what about the guy that died in 2005? God was not righteous towards that man. For He, it was not somebody's fault that maybe didn't want to tell him or anything. It was God hiding it from him. I don't believe that God's hiding any revelation from us. There's all revelation that there is to be known, is known. That's it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God incarnated into human flesh. That is all that there is and the effects of that. Now we will come and say, no, there's new revelation. No, no, you've just applied that maybe to a different area of your life. 
Now you think it's a new revelation. No, no. It's only a different place of application of the only revelation. Amen. Like Hebrews now. We always thought, now God's writing the law of Moses on our hearts. Now we take the revelation of Christ, which we all know in this place, and we apply it to our hearts. Say, no, no. We even apply the revelation of Christ now to the law. Saying that's our new law. Our law is what He's done for us. Our law is this gospel of grace. Our law is how faithful God is towards us. Our law is something that God judged accordingly unto our rest. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Are you in James chapter 1? Let me just, I I, I was just thinking of another scripture quickly in in, uh, Isaiah. We just take the one simple revelation, we apply it to every area of our life. And we come together for the purpose, if we gather here together, it's for the purpose written down in Hebrews chapter 12 and 13. It says the, the reason why, and chapter 10, the reason why we come together is simply for to encourage each other to stay in this message. That's all. That's why we, because in this world there's things all the time that want to teach us something that's contrary to this truth. All the time. I, when I was in the US, I, they've got this cable TV there. So I put it on and, and there was a, 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 a lady that preached there. Man, and she, she preached a wonderful grace message. So I, I wrote down a website and um, her fa- I, said, I thought it was a father, but it was a husband. He's passed away now. He used to go years ago, like in, in the 70s, he would go on television and um, it would be late night and he'll broadcast on cable and he will have a big cigar and a whiskey and he'll preach the gospel now. You know? <laughs> and he would say, if you don't like this, if this offends you, switch off, it's not for you. And he was, he was preaching like that. I think it was Gene Scott. His surname is Scott. So he was preaching like that. And then after a while he became a bit more mild, you know, and didn't do that anymore. But, I mean, he was really preaching the message of grace. So now she comes, she preaches a wonderful message of grace. I, I, I go to her website, I, I, I found the guy in the US, I said, get, get her to broadcast on Grace Stream TV, we want the material. Um, and he said, no, he says he'll do it this, this coming Monday. I said, no, that's okay. And as I was listening, there was a message that I listened to, Elena and I, and I said, man, we can't broadcast this. Unfortunately, we can't. And it, it was like, I said, Lord, you know, we need to know that in this world, in every area of life, we need to apply the cross. And as wonderful as what the one thing is, and I, I believe if you go to a church, you can be blessed in many, many areas of your life, there needs to, this simple revelation needs to be applied to finances. You know, she, she, she preached a message on finances um, about, the, the, I think the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the tithe. And that belongs to God. And that's God's principle forever. There will be something that belongs to Him that you're not par- allowed to partake of. You know, and that's the way it's worked. Old, New Testament, the whole thing. Now, she's very good with the Hebrew and the Greek and all this, but it's not going to help. It's not going to help. She's, 
it's not going to help us. We need to apply that same. There's no new revelation about finances. There's one revelation, Jesus Christ. He provides for you through what has happened on the cross. And that we don't have to give money to the church to be blessed. We give because we are blessed and because we love the work of God. That's it. That, that needs to apply to every area of your life. We cannot go and say, we apply grace here when it comes to salvation, but we apply, our, we apply church attendance and faithfulness to church as the way unto peace. You know, when it, no, 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 no. We apply, you don't have to come to church for God to love you. If you want to come, if you want a fellowship with these people, then you want to have to come here. If you want a fellowship here. That's it. But concerning salvation, it doesn't have any value. The value that church fellowship has is very simple. Paul said in Hebrews, he says, come together so that you can continue to encourage each other in this gospel so that people will not fall away and willfully go and sin. Which is to go back to the law. Amen. And that's why the Bible says if you willfully sin, there's no salvation for you, for there remains no other sacrifice. So if you willfully go back to the law, how can you be saved? Because you are not calling on Jesus anymore. That's it. How will you be saved? Because you're rejecting the only salvation. Listen, if there's only one lifeboat on the planet, and you're busy sinking 20 miles off Cape Point, and that lifeboat comes and it picks you up. And halfway, ten miles out, you jump out. It's not the lifeboat's judgment. It's not the driver of the boat's anger that causes your death. It is you not resting and simply doing nothing, resting in the ability of the boat. It's because you want to add some effort and say, let me swim a bit, I feel better now. I've almost died, but I've rested now. I, I actually no cons. If you do that, it's going to kill you. I've seen it so many times. Amen? I want to just get to that one in Isaiah. Sorry. Yo, maar die tijd het gevlieg. Amen. Partij van oudsie, het kan nie wees. Ek voel dat hier nog gejild, die praat my moeg. Maar is alright. Shame man. Listen to verse 7. I, I, I'm just going to read. So, Isaiah 51 verse 7. Don't go there, but just listen. It says, Hearken unto me, you that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of uh, revelings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. You people whose hearts I've already put my law in, listen. All these other things that is against you that says, yeah, you're not blessed because look, you don't have this, you don't that. all those things will fall away. But my salvation is from generation to generation. Just believe in what I tell about say about you. Amen. And that is the, the, the book of James. That's what it's all about. The whole book of, of James is all about that. Let's go to chapter 1, verse 21. No, verse 22. 
It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For those of you that are the first time here that's not heard this, it says be doers of the word. Or be doers of the law of God. That we've just explained. It doesn't say be doers of Moses. It doesn't say be doers of the law. It says be doers of the word. What is the word? There's a Greek word there, logos. Be doers of the word that Paul preached. Be doers of the word that James preached, that Jesus preached. Be a doer of that word. If you go to a Buddhist, you will find he'll say he's a doer of the word. If you go to a, 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 a Muslim, you will find that he will say he's a doer of the Quran. He's a doer of the word of God. So now, when a New Testament grace preacher comes and he tells you, be a doer of the word, what is he talking about? He's not talking about the law of Moses. He's not talking about church tradition. He's not talking about the law of the pastor. You know, in this church, you will find, once, say, this church becomes big, we've got 200 people or 300 people, you'll find that there, there will be laws in this church. It's not God's law. It's my law. My law says we start at 10. So, if, if you, at 10 we start. If you're not here at 10, you're not judged by God, it just means you're late. That's all it means. <laughs> It doesn't take away your righteousness, doesn't take away, it's just a, a, a law on this earth by which we live. So, I've got my laws, God has got His law, and I've got my word, and God has got His word. What's God's word? When it says, be doers of the word, what does it talk about? The Bible says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, we are doers of the word of God, meaning we believe in Jesus and what He stands for. Amen. And we're going to see right here what the law is, and we're going to go to a very difficult verse in chapter 2, which uh, many people struggle, I've struggled with it for many years as well. It says there, For if you be a hearer of the word of God, which is Jesus, and not a doer, is like unto a man that l- beholds his natural face in a mirror. For he beholds himself, goes away, and straightway forget what manner of man, or what type of man he is. So, what is the Word of God? The Word of God is a revelation of a new type of man. You look into the mirror of His Word. You hear what that Word says. That Word says, you're a different type of man. You're not a law man anymore. You're not a man that's justified by His works anymore. You're a man that has already been justified by the obedience of another man. You're a man that doesn't find your righteousness in your efforts, but you find that God lives in you. That's the new man you discover when you look into the mirror. When you look into that mirror and you go away and you still do the practices of the law to be justified by the law, you have forgotten what kind of man you are and you're not a doer of the word, but you're a doer of of Moses. And so many times we have read this, um, especially for the guys here that's here for the first time or just start to come lately. We read the law, we, we, when we say, be doers of the word, we think the Bible. It doesn't talk about the Bible. The Bible did not exist at that time. He didn't talk about the book of Ephesians or Galatians. He didn't talk about any of those things. Some of those books weren't even written when that was written, when James was written. 
He didn't even talk about Elijah and Elisha and the Old Testament books. He didn't even talk about that. He talked about a word that was preached throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, a message that was preached. And he says, now be a follower and a doer of that word, because by that word you discover a brand new man, and you continue to look into that without going back. We doers of the word of God. He that's not a doer sees himself as perfect in the blood of Jesus Christ, as holy in the blood of Jesus Christ. And let's take it to preachers now. He sees himself as an absolute blessed man of God. Then he goes away and then he wants to follow the basic trend of the church world to, so that he can declare himself successful by what he does. Try to build a big church. Get a sound system of 1.5 million rand to speak to 200 people. can buy one for 3,000 bucks, 4,000 bucks and do it. The law has robbed us from our common sense. Even in the area, a car is not a thing that takes you from point A to point B anymore. It is something through which you try to speak. No, no, that's not what a car is there for. A car is there to take you from point A to point B safely. You don't want to die on the way. So you at least get something you can get there to the place safely. You, it, a, 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 a church building all of a sudden became a status symbol and not a place to keep the reign of the head of the church. Amen. Hallelujah. I tell you, this gospel will make you see things for what it really is. And you will not start to sell your life for stuff that's worth nothing. We, we give our life and our effort for this gospel. Amen. Whosoever looks, verse 25, now it talks about the word of God or the law of God. Whosoever looks into the perfect law of Liberty. So what is the law that's written in our hearts? It's the law of God. It's the law of liberation through the obedience of somebody that represents you. That law is written on our hearts and in our minds. That's what God says. He will write this law in our hearts and in our minds. I like what Grant said. He, when he went out to your last, uh, the last time we preached, he said, this, this is how he believed from small, God has, is supposed to be. For God was trying and busy from small, writing this law in His heart and in His mind. But the only thing is what we've heard from, from the front and from the pulpit was contrary to that, making us doubt what we really feel in our hearts. I've seen it so many times, from church to church, wherever I preached, in whatever country I've preached, when people come, they say, I've known this from small. I knew it had to be like this. This is the God that we're supposed to believe in. Because God, that's the only thing God can write in your heart, is His law. He's not going to write the, the, the law of Moses on your heart. No ways. That means, listen, and I've said it last time, if God writes the law of Moses on your heart, Satan is God.
and Satan has overthrown the kingdom of God. For that is what he got Adam and Eve into and got them to fall. That's what he tried to tempt Jesus with in Matthew 4. And if he could trick God now in the book of Hebrews to get into the, the hearts of his, all of his people. I mean, then Satan is one. <laughs> yeah, it's radical, but I mean, it's true. It says, the law of liberty. And continue there. But whosoever looks into the law of liberty... And continue therein. The problem of the Jews was, well, they, they looked into the law of liberty, but they didn't continue, they continued in the law of Moses. They looked and said, well, you know, I'm completely set free. I got the breakthrough. But then they go to the breakthrough prayer meeting. I've got the presence of God. Then they go and try and, and loose the Holy Spirit. That's now a modern version. They went back and said, they believed, Jesus washed my sins, and then they went and sacrificed an animal. So why do you want to sacrifice an animal? Why do you look into the Word, you turn around and forget how you were liberated, and now you want to get free again, but what do you do? That is only a hearer of the Word, and not a doer of the Word. That's why it says in chapter 2, that how can we be justified outside of our works? He says, faith alone cannot save you. You need faith and works to be saved. How are you going to be saved if you only look at the gospel of grace, but you don't believe the gospel of grace and act in that gospel of grace? That means, listen, you are free, you've been made righteous by Jesus. No preacher can anymore keep you out of heaven by not obeying his laws. And then the Bible says, well, for freedom that Christ has set us free and we shall not be entangled into this yoke of bondage anymore. And then it says, walk in the freedom you have. So if you see, the Bible says, even the demons, they, they believe, but what do they do? What? They fear. It means they believe with an action according to their faith. Abraham believed God. And then he did things. And the justification of his belief was manifested in his works. In the same with us. If we believe that we are in the gospel of grace, where will we be justified? The word justified means to render righteous or to be dealt with according to your righteousness. We see ourselves as righteous, but then we go and live as unrighteous. How do we live as unrighteous? As people seeking righteousness. And I'm not talking about drinking and smoking. Forget about that. I'm talking about church things now. We live as righteous. We see in the perfect law of liberty that we... It's, it's a perfect law. <laughs> Hallelujah. It means with the first law they could be found fault. But in this law it cannot. You've been perfected in this law. It's a perfect law to make you righteous and to keep you righteous. Now you look into that law. You see the representation. You, you say, well, hallelujah. The moment you finished, you think that if we can get a million people together to pray on the planet, then Jesus will come. No, no, you're forgetting what kind of man you are. 
When I sit on the airplane, there's somebody next to me, and, and, and I want to share the gospel with them. I don't share that gospel because the Bible says you must preach to people. I see the value of that person. And if I feel in my heart, I want to talk to this person, I talk. Other times, I, sometimes I try to sleep, you know. You get tired. So, and most of the time, I, 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 man, I like it if I've got three or four seats open. <laughs> That's the best. You put a safety belt everywhere, and then you sleep. You only get that once in a lifetime, I see. Well, anyway. If I want to share there, it's not out of, okay, I see I've been perfect, I see now I'm holy. Now, if I don't share here, it means I'm a disobedient person, and I'm not the blessed of God, and I'm not a good preacher, and I'm not a... No, no. I don't forget this law. We keep in this law. We live by this law. This is our law. We are doers of the word. And that justification is seen in my actions. If I get an opportunity to preach there or there or there, I cannot say I'm justified and I'm blessed because of these things. I keep that law in my mind. No, 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 no. If I feel in my heart I want to preach here, then I do. If I don't want to, I don't. And my righteousness is not determined by this. In other words, my, my justification is in my works. So I see it in my works. For a Jew to be justified in his works, he had not to go to the temple anymore. And sacrifice there. But these days we find in church, and on television as well, I was in the US, it's, it's, it's terrible. Everything is about Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. You can win a trip to Jerusalem. Man, if you want to go to Jerusalem to see the historic thing there, go and enjoy yourself. Amen. But don't think you're going to be more blessed than staying here. Thank God. The message, the, 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 what makes us free is the gospel of grace. We believe this gospel of grace. So we are justified in our works. So, in our works, where else will you see justification? The rendering or the freedom manifested than in your works. It's in our works uh, that, that we are justified. And that is works that is according to our revelation. That would be for a Jewish person to say, well, I'm not having my children circumcised anymore. It's like for you saying, I'm not going to the breakthrough prayer meeting anymore. Because I believe that I've been justified by Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is my breakthrough. And He broke through the heavens and came to earth and gave us life. We don't plea God for revival anymore. But where we declare the revival that happened 2,000 years ago, where man was revived in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we declare that. And it was for freedom that Christ has made us free. You don't have to do that anymore. So there's certain things that you did, which was according to the law, which you can stop now. Because you've been justified. You, you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus and you justified in your works because of the righteousness you behold. And you live according to that gospel. 
And the context of the book of James, and I end off with this in chapter 1, is very simple. He says, Listen, if anybody needs wisdom of God, he first says, if you go through hard times, don't say it's of God. You know, God is not bringing the hard time over you. In this world there will be hard times, but when you see hard times and you are persecuted for the gospel, be happy, because it means you are in the gospel. For the Lord God is persecuting you. It means in the gospel, and know that God will give you strength to go through that. While you're in that and you need wisdom, it says, ask of God, who gives, in two ways, liberally and abradeth not. Afrikaans say, That's actually not the correct word. The, he, the, the Greek there says, that takes no account of the past. So, in other words, if, if God comes to you and you need wisdom about your finances, He's not going to take any account of the past, which is Malachi 3. He's not going to take account of the past. What past? What was the account of the past according to the people that it was written to in James? It was the law. So if God gives you wisdom, He's not going to give it in accordance to the Old Testament way of doing. The only thing He will do if He refers to the past, it will be the cross of Jesus. But it will not be because to them, this message of Jesus was now the new thing, and the old thing was the law. So God will give you wisdom in how to get out of your situation, how to go through that, how to handle it, how to whatever you need, and He will point it towards the cross of Jesus Christ, and that's it. The new thing in the eyes of the people that was scattered, the twelve tribes. The new thing was the God. He will not take account of the old. When God wants to talk about how He provides for you, He's not going to go back to Elijah and the widow, saying, you know, the widow gave money to Elijah, and then God multiplied the thing, and then God... If God wants to give you a, a, a revelation on uh, um, exaltation, how He's blessed you, He's not going to go to Joseph and say, listen, Joseph first had a vision, then he went through the pit. Pit, P-I-T, stands for prophet in training. Then you're going to suffer. And then you're going to go to jail. And then, or, you know, look at the, the, the potter and the clay. He first takes that, the, the, that pot out of the ground, that clay, and then he forms it. And it's so nice because that's the beginning of your salvation. And you feel his hands on you and whatever. And he forms you. It's so beautiful. And then he puts you in the oven. And then he burns the hell out of you. No, that is, he will not take account of the past. He's not talking like that. That's not God's word. God's word concerning you will be, there was a, if God gives you advice and he will refer to Christ, he will say, my son suffered, my son went through the thing, he did it for you, you believe, you are righteous, he will point you to the perfect law of liberty and he will get your eyes to look into that continually and to believe it. Hallelujah. Amen. I tell you, the more you hear this, the more you'll believe it. I've been preaching this now, this last time you guys know I've been away a lot. I've been to Tanzania. We preach two, three messages a day. Now, if you preach there for 15 days, 16 days, and it times that by three, and it's an hour, hour and a half every time, then you hear this message a lot. <laughs> and then you do the same in the US. You hear it a lot. 
it starts to become part of you. It becomes the only truth. Maybe I need to hear it so many times. But it blesses me. To me, it, it is, it, it, there's an expectation of manifestation of the truth that's in me. Listen. Many people think a hard time is what God puts you through to teach you patience. Patience does not, is not a fruit of hard times. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You don't need a hard time to get patience. You need the Holy Spirit to give you patience as a gift when hard times should come. <laughs> oh, God is teaching me patience. He broke my car. Now he's teaching me patience. <laughs> no, no, no. Standing in a massive queue there at the bank. I mean, yesterday, I, we went from the wedding to, another, on, to the other side of the city and on the M5 there where it crosses the N1, they're building there. Don't go, go any other way, but don't go there. Listen, God was not teaching me patience there in that traffic. I just had to use the patience which I already possess, which is a gift which manifests at the right time, which is by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Any godly attribute does not come and finds its origin in a hard time. It finds it in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you for your gospel. I want to thank you that we could just have worshipped and sing those songs about your goodness and your love. Thank you for what Iana shared. Thank you, Lord, just for what Vessel has done and what everything here and the people that we could gather and fellowship around your word. Thank you for your love, my God, and that every person here will be so encouraged by this message of grace, knowing... <clears throat> That as they look into this perfect law of liberty concerning their work, concerning their marriage, concerning raising their kids, whatever it is, they find the truth about them, my Father, in that. And that's their only point of reference. That's the fullness of the gospel. Thank you for that, my God. That we can preach this gospel not with a lack mentality thinking that you are hiding some revelation to some special generation that's going to do something special for God. But that we know that you have revealed this gospel to a generation and to a people that has been disobedient and stiff-necked and didn't even love you. And you've given it to us. And thank you, my God, that out of that our hearts had a resonance and an amen and, and that we could believe this gospel. And that it has got its work in us. That we are justified in our works. Thank you, my God, that by works we are justified. And not anything else. Thank you, Lord, that we can believe this gospel and act according to this gospel. Therefore, we will never say, because I've done so many things, therefore God can bless me. We declare that we are blessed of God. We are rendered righteous in our works. We've got the freedom and the liberty to live according to this gospel now having a great expectation of the manifestation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and not our efforts in our lives, my Father. I declare every person here, I speak with your life, I say, you are the gesende of God. You are the beloved of God. You are the apple of God's eye. You are His own precious people. 
You are a royal priesthood. You are the saints of God. You are the sons of God. You've reached the level of righteousness that has been placed there by God as the only qualification to be like God. You've reached it. I declare it over you in Jesus' mighty name. And in the days to come, and in the years to come, your life will be revolving around knowing more about the truth that you possess and acknowledging it as you hear it. In Jesus' mighty name, you are the blessed of God. You are the people of God. You are loved of God. Jesus is the author of the salvation. Thank you, my Father. Amen. I want to say to you people, this gospel, in this gospel, Jesus is the center. If you take Jesus out, there's nothing. Nothing. I found so many institutionalized ministries where you can take Jesus out and the thing will run very well. Because it's man-made. But this gospel, staying in this gospel, will keep you free.